And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East Utsira, West Utsira, South West Utsira and North North East Utsira. Wind South West, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. I'm reading at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. I'll smile. Smile. Hello and welcome to Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM. We are here once a month to look at the arts, the culture and the people of East London. But the issues we cover, as ever, go way beyond the East London borders. So wherever you're listening, welcome. My name's Nia Charpentier and I'm here with Pearl Wise and Daniel Manning. Yes, hello. We have a great show coming up for you this evening. We'll be talking to um, about two independent film festivals happening in London this month. And we have some live music from singer-songwriter Lyle Arad, who will be joining us later on in the studio. And uh, scientists are leaving the laboratory and heading to the disco, and more about that later on. But first, let's take you on a journey into sound and discover an alternative music school called School of Noise. on a Saturday morning and school's about to start. This may usually not be a reason for excitement but I've been looking forward for this for weeks now. This is because I'm not going to an ordinary school. Today I will attend the School of Noise. The concept is still a bit fuzzy to me so probably be best to go in and see what it's all about. Hi I'm Dan Mayfield from the School of Noise. What is the School of Noise? Uh, the School of Noise is a project for children doing experimental music and electronic music. So we've kind of designed it so it's a really accessible way for kids just to get creative with making sounds and making music. So there's no kind of expertise required or years of learning how to play an instrument. You can just turn a dial, tap a thing and start to create music which then means that they can just be creative with how they sort of play around with those sounds. How did you come up with the concept for the School of Noise? I saw a video online called the Shoreditch Experimental Music School, and it's a video from the late 1960s about a chap called Brian Dennis, and he was trying to sort of create a project where it would bring experimental music into the classroom. The whole project kind of started off um, with this little Morse code machine, um, which we just really like. I mean, the aesthetic of it is really lovely. So it's a really good demonstration of just a simple sine wave being created, but that's all that that machine does. But then when you hook it through various delays and reverbs, you can actually start to create some really interesting sounds. I 
laptop is a program called Sonic Pi, which is uh, an introductory kind of program to coding and programming sound. And then we've got some old analog drum machines going into um, copycat tape delays. Really well built instruments, so they're quite sturdy. So children can just get their hands on there and nothing's going to break, hopefully. It's the makey makey, we've got an omnicord. Just anything goes, really. Yeah. As long as it's sort of easy to use and so it's accessible for people of any ability, can just come in and just start to create music, really. My name is Aiden and I am, and I am doing the drums um, and then I can change the, the how fast and slow it goes. And they're really, really fast. What else can I do? Well, we can play lots of different drums. What's your favourite one? My favourite one is the samba. The samba. So I'm Donal, I've been uh, helping out down at the workshops. Right now we're doing some field recording, so we've got two girls and we've come out with a microphone to record some sounds from the street. So we recorded some bins and some chains and some fences and some road traffic. And we found a piano playing in the library, so we recorded that. And then we take them back in and we load them into a sampler and we make a piece of music with them. I'm, um, I'm Jacob, and what this device allows you to do is connect um, crocodile clips to the device and then to any conductive material. So for today's workshop, we're using uh, peppers, and so you can use any fruit to then trigger any sounds that you're making on the computer. That's what this Satoto does. You can kind of use it yeah, as far as your imagination can stretch in terms of what you can use to be triggering the sounds, basically. I liked doing the drums on the table. people want to hear you or attend the workshop, where would they be able to find you? Just visit our website. It is schoolofnoise.com and look at the events we've got on there. We're kind of saying yes to everything. So. <laughs> My favourite bit was going out of Chats Palace and onto the roads and making some noises. Uh, my favourite noise was my was my voice and it went into a funny sound. And it was like, Damn, you're sweet. 
record player. How about you? What was your favorite part of it? Uh, pretty much everything. <laughs> That was The School of Noise, recorded and produced by Julia Locke. Thank you, Julia, for letting us play that. And you can hear more of her radio work on her SoundCloud page, which is Kleins, K-L-E-I-N-E-S. Thank you for that. Um, so now we've got a bit of a, a film festival special in the studio, in the East Coast studio tonight. Um, here with us we have uh, Gabriella Apicella from Underwire Festival and Rita Maya and Jose Cardosa from Indie Lisboa London Film Session Sessions. Both happening in London this month, but two very different events, as you'll hear. Um, Gabriella, I'll come to you first. So, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, Underwire uh, will be showing 56 short films, three feature films, all by women filmmakers. That's right, yes. So, we, um, most short film festivals only tend to give awards to the, the directors of the short films. Um, when we set up Underwire, Gemma Mitchell and myself back in 2010, we very much wanted to recognise the work of people working across the technical crafts because women are underrepresented across all the technical areas of filmmaking. So it was very much our intention to um, begin to try and change the industry from the inside out by giving recognition to that work. And because film is so very collaborative, um, we didn't feel it was necessarily reflective of the industry to only recognise the director's work. Um, obviously the writers, the producers, the editors, cinematographers, etc, etc, also have um, a huge influence on the finished work. Okay. And you're now in your sixth year. Yeah. So how has it changed <laughs> over the years? Um, well, it's just grown so much. That's what's extraordinary to me. When we started it, um, I, I mean, I'm not a natural producer as both Gemma, who I set it up with, and Ab, who I'm running it with now, can, I'm sure, attest to. I'm a writer ordinarily, so Producing doesn't come easily to me. Um, and after the first year, I sort of took a step back and Gemma continued with um, Helen Jack, who was working at Shooting People at the time. They've both gone on to do all sorts of other wonderful things. And they grew the festival ever such a lot. And then Chloe Trainer has run it for the past two years at um, the Yard in Hackney Wick and again has grown it even more. So coming back to it in year six as a producer again, as a co-producer again with Ab Addison, um, it's been extraordinary to then be at the scale where we can be in Hackney Picture House um, and be in a proper cinema. And, um, and because we um, felt also it's, it's very important for feature films to have a platform, um, for women filmmakers to have a platform in the feature film world, um, we've decided to begin to show feature films for the very first time this year which is very exciting um, and has been a whole new learning experience for all of us involved and we're really really looking forward to to having a, a sort of a, an audience that doesn't just explore short film because obviously that's that can be fairly niche and so by reaching out to a mainstream audience we're hoping again to just raise awareness of um the, the necessity for women filmmakers to be recognised. Mm -hmm. And what kind of barriers are you, are you still see, are women still seeing in the industry? Well, um, I mean, the, the thing is, is it's obviously film is an incredibly competitive industry, and I know that whenever these issues are talked about, there is a sort of disgruntled 
uh, reaction and the question of, oh, but it's, it was really hard for me as well. The, the problem is, is that it's so, the sexism within the film industry is so endemic and it's been built up over generations. And when you look at the statistics, um, there's a wonderful researcher named Stephen Follows who has researched the percentages of women crew members in film crews in the UK. And it's really quite terrifying that whilst, you know, you sort of expect that there's going to be around the kind of 15 percentage mark as women directors in UK film, once you start getting into cinematography and you're looking at like 6%, it's just downright ridiculous. And we're still hearing from nominees and previous winners of the Our Cinematography Award who get told things that on film sets or you know assumed on film sets that they can't that the camera might be too heavy for them and i've certainly had conversations with sound people for example where they've actually been have felt that they just didn't want to work in an all male environment they didn't feel comfortable in it and that actually made them feel that they that they needed to change career as a result because of the the kind of ingrained you know sexism and misogyny of just you know working in a predominantly male environment and and I think it's something that unless you experience what you know being so heavily in that minority you can't really understand it and I I think you know it's very easy for people to just have a knee-jerk reaction and just be like, oh, but I'm but I'm not like that. I don't do that. But actually, you know, the the, the stats reflect you know what we're seeing um, women experience, and it's it's not it's just not good, and it needs to change. Mm. Um, how supportive are women with each other? That's that's always intriguing because mm. um so for example in radio um there's a group called women of sound so yeah. um you know there's a it's a big support network and um women who work in radio you know um give each other tips and jobs and mm. and collaborate um is that does that happen in film or is everyone competing I think it's definitely beginning to happen more in film. We're seeing, obviously, in the mainstream and in the, the big A-listers, you know, Sandra Bullock and Reese Witherspoon and Meryl Streep and these incredible performers who are speaking out now about, you know, the sexism that, they're, that they've faced and how they are wanting to change the industry by setting up production companies and telling women's stories. Um, I think um, that enables women to help one another when you see that kind of example from the high profile. Certainly we've seen within Underwire, it's just been lovely and it's been such an amazing experience to see filmmakers meet one another year after year, begin to work together. And, you know, even at our last networking event where we had the programme launch, um, we had two of our previous... We, we've just this year started inviting our previous winners to come and tell us about what their current projects are and actually they they both knew one another and just been on a, on a project together it was just like oh it's such and it's just and it's an amazingly small world you know but and you know any like any industry it's all a small world and everyone knows one another really once you start to drill down into it um but that's really what underwire is about is trying to support women you know through through their careers and that's why for example our prizes for all of the awards are, you know I mean, they're, they're, they get a sort of little trinket thing, um, but the emphasis really is on the main award, which is always either a training or a mentoring or a membership um, reward. So, you know, uh, we have, for example, VET, who are our editing award partner, offer training, which is essential. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we realised right at that early stage that whilst getting cash is lovely when you're at the beginning of your career, what you actually need, those money-can't-buy opportunities of meeting with other 
with your, you know, with people who are that step above you in the industry or getting extra training to help you move on in your career. So mm. that's that's entirely what Underwire is about. Oh, that's great. So Underwire was born out of a bit of a kind of frustration. I just want to bring in um, Rita and uh, Jose as well. Um, so how, how did how did your film festival come about? The film festival happens in Lisbon every year. We are from the Portuguese Conspiracy. We are partners. We organize this event in partnership with the festival. I, in Portugal, it goes in its 11th year. Mm -hmm. And in London, we are organizing the third edition. Yeah, yeah it's, it's worth, uh, worthwhile mentioning as well that um, the ND Lisboa is, uh, is an international film festival. So what we bring to London is actually a selection of the Portuguese um, collaborations. Um, actually, this year we've got um, some um, some of the movies that are actually collaborations between Portuguese and foreign uh, other, other other directors, and we present like a sample of what that uh, much larger film festival is in Lisbon. Because we were wondering, is the selection open to? Is it just Portuguese language films, or um, will you have? Mm. No, mm. no. Yeah, we, the selection is, to, to be very bluntly honest, is a very personal one. Uh, we, the, the festival in Lisbon is an 11-days festival, so there's a lot of movies, a lot of uh, short films, long films. Um, and we, we try to make a selection, a very personal one, that we think is relevant to, to the occasion. we work with the direction of festival in Lisbon, yeah. so with them, they... They know what kind of things that we like and we like most, and yeah. the would be most important to show. Yeah, yeah. We, we, try, yeah we try to to make that selection relevant to the to, to the to the to the context in which you know, we, we 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 are here in London. Um, so, what is, what's the Portuguese conspiracy? What do you do normally other than um, we organize events uh, with uh, Portuguese artists? Music, uh, film. We, we in the past we did exhibitions as well. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did. We do supper clubs. We do uh, film festivals. We did uh, illustration exhibitions as well. We do. Uh, we try to you know to do diversify as much as we can. With a focus in Portugal, bringing Portugal to London. So, is it mainly for the Portuguese community in London, or is it no, to no, introduce? Not at all. No, not at all. Okay, no. that's not that. We try. We try to. The exercise exactly is exactly uh, stepping out of that, of that, uh, of that um, sort of uh, bubble. Um, um, by this, by the same token, we, we 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 sort of found out that we were asking actually also becoming a sort of uh, a different place to for 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 a different kind of Portuguese immigration in Port in, in London, which is uh, a lot younger than it used to be. A lot um, with different. Uh, Purposes to be in London, so um, by by trying to get you know uh, an audience not that is not Portuguese, we actually ended up having different Portuguese people in there. So um, you know, it's, um, it's 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 more of an attempt to showcase than actually cater for the community. And could you give us a highlight from the um, selection this year? What would your highlight be? <sighs> Difficult mm. question. Uh, yeah, we have the we'll show the um, the film awarded with the best Portuguese uh, yeah. film in the festival. Yeah, 
And, so and which and what what is is that yet to be announced? No, I, I think I wouldn't highlight a specific film, but I would like I would highlight highlight a theme, which I think is sort of recurring to the to the to the to the to to, to the not all of them directly, but I think. Um, there, there, there is a, a, a theme that you cannot escape and within Portugal, which is the, the crisis theme, right? So I think most of the films, directly or indirectly, uh, relate to that. Um, some of them display some, you know, uh, very uh, historical, uh, sometimes, you know, origins. Some of them are more of, uh, the com you know, what happens today. And uh, some of them are, you know, so, sort of, you know, ongoing reflections of... Uh, of, um, of, of, of Portugal, but uh, yeah, I would say that's, that's the recurring theme. Thank you. If I could jump back to you, Gabriella, what would your highlight be? Of, uh well, I'm, because I'm a writer and because I was involved with, with programming this year's festival, um, I, well, it's, I must admit, when we were going through, I, I was kind of snaffling a lot of really quite amazing films for the writing category. Um, so that's showing at 11am um, on the Saturday morning. Okay. Um, we have all of the technical, the more technical areas showing on the Saturday throughout the day. Um, but I, I love the films in the in the, sound, in the writing category and actually just got told this morning by our judge who the winner is. So I'm oh, really, really excited. Very exciting. Uh, but we're also, I mean, I've got to mention, you know, the three features because it's, it's such a big thing for us to be moving into this area. So we've got The Violators, which is actually up for Best Producer at the Biffers this year. It hasn't been properly released yet. It's screened at the Edinburgh International Film Festival, but it will be its London premiere on, on Friday the 20th of November. Then we have Addicted to Sheep, which was a real highlight of Sheffield Dockfest and has been selling out when it got when it got distributed a little bit earlier in the year and been selling out up and down the country. And we've got, which I'm so excited about, 20th anniversary screening of Sense and Sensibility. Fantastic. Um, really to acknowledge the work of Emma Thompson as a writer because it was her first screenplay and it's just astonishing excellent lots that. so yeah we're very excited lots to look forward to yeah. so underwire festival is happening from the 20th to the 22nd of november at the hackney picture house you can get details on the program and for tickets um at underwirefestival.com and then the indie lisboa london film sessions for this year are taking place friday the 27th 7th of november to the 28th at pillbox kitchen in bethnal green thank you so much thank, thank you. you thank you thanks so um, here's a little reminder of the project that we launched in September and it was kind of, we decided to do something around this um, so-called 24-hour uh, uh, weekend tube opening that still hasn't happened. It was supposed to happen in September. We're still waiting for it. Will it ever happen? But we're not ones to, you know, give up on a project. No, we're not so going to give up. On we're anyway. still here. We're still here, and we still um, are looking for uh, sounds that are inspired by the London Underground. Um, so we um, we got sent another uh, radio piece by Julia Locke, who who you heard. Um, her school of noise piece earlier and um so she it's not entire I, I guess it's kind of inspired by the underground it's definitely recorded in the underground um and so she asks the question um if you could go back in time what would you change 
So um, we'll listen to that in a second. Here's our little jingle to remind you what the sounds of the London Underground is all about. Travelling on public transport in London is almost like someone takes you by the hand and tells you exactly when it's time to change trains or exit the bus. On our journey through life, we lack such helpful public announcements, and so we end up taking wrong turns, unexpected detours, and we may even get lost from time to time. On my journey across London tonight, I'll rely on the kindness of my fellow travellers and ask them to answer one question for me. If you could go back in time, what would you change? What was the point in dropping the bomb? Like, I get that it ended a war that needed to be ended, but why would we punish ordinary people? Yeah, to end a war that needed to be ended, but I think there must have been another way, so I would, I would take that back. On behalf of us, on behalf of America, I would take it back. If they could go back in time, some people would like to change important historical events that had a global impact. Others focus on a very specific moment in their own lives. I probably should have said, I love you and I didn't. And if I could go back in time, I'd probably change it. I think I would feel more free as of now and uh, I wouldn't be asking myself what would have happened now. Yeah, so just do it. Do what you feel is right in that moment. This bus is on diversion. I will change today actually <laughs> it was not a good day for us because it's I guess third time we are here in London and uh, we lost everything today our travel cards and uh, a little bit bank money card. bank cards and just it was a bad day so I will uh, change this day yeah it, it will be enough I guess to make today better Please keep your belongings with you at all times. Change. Oh, a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of things. Different parents. <laughs> of different parents. Yeah, I've changed something. I'd do better at school. But at least I would have tried. Things have been different. Yeah. Got myself a different job, better job. I had a wife and kids years ago. Definitely, without a doubt. I wouldn't have had such a lonely life. No. Life, life would have been different, totally different. But it's been as it is. That's it. Accept it. Move on. Try and enjoy it. Try and enjoy myself. It'll change. The destination of this bus has changed. I wouldn't probably buy a um, property at the moment I bought it. Yeah, that's probably uh, my biggest mistake in life. Still repaying the mortgage. Just the interest is so high and uh, the property lost its value. At the moment, I'm a bus driver. I do around 50 hours a week, but I only hope it's temporary. Uh, that's another thing as well um, that I could have changed when I was younger. I, I chose in the wrong um, 
course to do because uh, my first course was in uh, in French. Now it seems quite useless, but I had to do some something more technical like computers. Now I could probably spend more time with, with the family and instead of working hard. And uh, apart from that, I feel quite happy. This bus terminates here. All change, please. This piece by Gila Lorger as part of a 24-hour radio race from KCRW's independent producer project. So you can hear more radio work by Julia Lork on her SoundCloud page, which is Klein's. And we are still calling out for your audio submissions, be it music, spoken word, field recordings, interviews, all around the theme of the London undergrounds. For details and guidelines, go to eastcastshow.com. And actually, you can find all our interviews and everything about the show on that website too. And you can find us at uh, on Twitter at East Cast Show. So now we are joined by Lyle Arad, who Hi. is in the studio with us. And um, we, this is, I need to turn around and speak to my back <laughs> to, to Lyle. So it's a very tiny studio at Resonance, so we will have to squeeze in. Um, we met, I don't know, was it a year ago? Maybe a, a, a bit longer. And you, Probably, yeah. yeah, and you were just working on your second album. Yeah, and it didn't right. have a name yet. And that's you were in right. the process of, so what's happened since then? Since then, I found a name for it. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, it's called The Onion, uh, which I thought was the best vegetable for it. Uh, it's coming out in March, which is exciting, and it's it's finished. The single, a single, came out about a month ago, which I think you're going to play later. And uh, yeah, so it's so the onion because it's got many layers, many layers, and and uh, I'm going to get so sick of making pretend reasons for why I called it the onion. I don't know. You fry it, and then you know it doesn't make you cry anymore. Then it becomes sweet. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then we've been trying to get you on the show for a while and you're always traveling I know we have bad luck with dates but I'm here now I know I'm (laughs) I'm happy you're here now but I'm I'm just wondering whether it's whether you've been on tour whether you've been traveling for music what's been going on yeah I can't remember exactly what was going on on those dates but I have been playing quite a lot um, a little bit around the UK and when I, I was recording uh, between Geneva and New York. Again, don't ask me for logical reasons why. It's just how it happened. So yeah, I've been away quite a lot um, and I'm going away quite a lot coming up, but it's always nice to be in London in between. So are you going to be touring with the release of this second album? Oh yeah, there'll be tours next year, but I mean later this month as well. I'm playing in Paris and Oxford and somewhere else, Madrid. I'm going to Madrid to open a show for my friend Black Yaya from the group Herman June. That's yeah. exciting. I saw you. You seem to have a par- quite a strong Paris connection. Is that a personal thing, or what? what no, wh- why it's is a, that? Well, maybe personal. I mean, the first album came out on a French label. Okay. So now everybody thinks I'm French, but it was a. A strange chain of events that led to that. So yeah, I mean, most of the touring for the first album was in France and French-speaking territories. So I spent a lot of time in Switzerland and Belgium and on the Eurostar. Uh, but I have no real French connection. 
So I was just wondering if, because um, I, I remember there was a song about Milo, whether Milo was a French man. Oh, he is definitely a French <laughs> man. Um, yeah, that's my my uh, attempt at speaking French, that song. I could have played that song. Maybe I could play that song. But I don't know. Let's see Let's what see. happens. Um so um, you also, I saw another French connection. Um, so there's a, a, a very kind of, I, I guess, the best uh, French music magazine, Les Inrocs, Um and you got your video got voted. Well, was selected um, as one of their top videos oh, of the yeah, week. This last video that was that was nice. They've been really supportive from the beginning, actually, Les Inrocs. and uh, yeah, we made a video for the new single on iPhones at the MoMA in New York. Um, we actually, the director of the video is French. She lives in New York, but she's French too. So maybe I secretly have a... You're I secretly French, I think. Anyways, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's a fun video. So what are you going to play for us tonight? I actually thought to play a song called Pickled Love, which is on the new album, but it's one of the oldest songs on the album. It's been around a while. It's morphed. Um, it's had a few phases. This is its current incarnation. Okay, take it away. I know I betrayed Promises I made At the time, at the time But it was no lie When I said my love won't die at the time was no lie at the time the truth is fickle cuts you down like a sickle so the trust starts to trickle and the love begins to pickle oh pickle So that we might really 
truth is fickle, cuts you down like a sickle. So the trust starts to trickle, and the love begins to pickle. Oh, pickled love. Oh. as ever um if people want to buy your album or listen more to what you've wh what you produce how, how can they find you they can go to it's it just sounds so horrible saying go to facebook but they can they can if they want um they can't buy the new album because it's coming out in march well, but when yeah. when it's out they'll they'll know because um we'll make sure they do <laughs> Great. And any any uh, London gigs coming up? Yeah, I'm opening for Stornoway, that great band, um, on the 29th of this month at the Tooting Tram and Social. That's what's coming up. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. No, your radio dial hasn't slipped uh, to Cheese FM. We are here to ask, how does human beha behaviour sync up with disco beats? That is the question that's been on the mind of Gorilla Science, who have teamed up with legendary disco club Car Wash in a scientific project. With me here in the studio is Jen Wan from uh, Gorilla Science and Neil Sanson from Car Wash. Welcome, both of you. Hello. Thanks, Hello. thanks to, for coming in. Firstly, what are you trying to find out? <laughs> Um, so, guerrilla science uh, tend to create experiences that mix science with art, music and play. So, for this particular event, we've teamed up with neuroscientists from the Wellcome Trust Hubbub Project, who are investigating rest and its opposites, um, and Carwash, um, who are with us today, to investigate the science of disco. So, um, we're taking the neuroscientists out of the lab and into Carwash um, to collect live data from people as they dance to disco beats. We're trying to make the most fun scientific experiment ever. <laughs> so when you arrive to Car Wash, we'll be covering you with uh, glitter face painting and giving accessories, and there'll be dance move lessons from our roller girls on our underlit dance floor. Um, as a scientific experiment, it will basically involve lots and lots of fun. And the participants can stay till right to, through to the end of the evening. So it's and what is the data that you're collecting? So it's about joy? or <laughs> <laughs> um, So it's investigating how people collectively respond to music when they listen to it together. So you know that moment in the club where the DJ drops the most tune. The, the best beat um, and everybody digs it and everybody starts uh, synchronising their behaviour. So there's a lot of um, previous research that shows that music does, um, in fact, synchronise our behaviour. Um, but this experiment will be, I guess, tracking people's movement and the intensity of their movement as they listen to the same set. 
disco is the perfect genre to do this because it's joyous, it's um, spontaneous, it's light. Uh, there's something about, um, I mean, we've been running for 25 years and uh, there's something about the disco genre that basically, when it, I've been DJing for 25 years, I've seen many a dance floor absolutely kick off. What is it about that moment when people are dancing on the tables? What is it where everybody is suddenly, the hairs on the back of their neck stand up? Um, we're, we're looking to try and track the physiological uh, data that behind that um, but, and what goes on in terms of the collective of the room, uh, what is it that's individu individualistically taking place and how does that translate to a collective experience where the, the, the dance floor is really kicking off. Yeah, I mean, what you just said about it, it, disco music is unique. You know, when we just played that clip then, everyone here was just smiling. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what are you... So will people be kind of hooked up to any kind of machines um, or anything uh, like that? Yeah, so that's the plan. Yeah. So um, we are recruiting four participants in this live experiment. Um, and what will happen is when you sign up on our website... Um, you'll be able to read more about the experiment in a bit more detail uh, and we will be attaching devices to the experimental participants when they arrive on the 5th of December um, and what those devices will do is um, hopefully not be too bulky because that might get in the way of dance moving <laughs> uh, but it will kind of track things like um, heart rate, possibly your breathing rate and uh, the accelerometer data is the really crucial data we're interested in. So that's the direction of your movement and how intense that movement is. And um, so we're hoping to track between 50 to 100 participants in the experiment. Um, and once we, once the DJ set is done, we can then analyse the collected data to look for trends and patterns within it. It's going to be very difficult for them not to respond because we're putting putting our best DJ, Miss Annie O. She's going to be playing tracks from the Car Wash album, which is uh, called Disco Classics. It's out on Friday. And um, it's something which uh, I don't think they're going to have uh, a choice in terms of how they respond. <laughs> and, uh, sorry, and Neil, uh, you, you know, you've been in the business for a long, long time. Uh, I'm guessing that you've never had a experiment happen in your club, or have you? Well, <laughs> I've, I mean, the experiments I've, I've seen live, for mm. I've been DJing for 25 years, um, I, as a DJ, you know which tracks work, you know which sections of a track, where the, um, a certain melody kicks in, where there's a bass sequence that basically uh, you feel it in the chest, you feel it in the body, um, what harmonic frequencies are, because the, as this data is being recorded, we'll also be recording the music, so we'll be able to cross-correlate cross which sections of the music are, are and with, with the physiological data, where it's overlapping. And that's going to be very, very interesting. And as a DJ, for, I'm very excited to be to see this for the first time. It's never been done before, and to have uh, uh, all these people participating in a, a, a very fun experiment is going to be very interesting. What is it about disco that just has that effect? And you know, what is it? The baseline? Is it a combination of things? Those kind of uh, the, well, <laughs> the nostalgia factor. I mean, the thing with, with disco in particular is the strings. The, the bass, um, you know, if you look at uh, Nile Rogers in, from Chic, you know, the, the bass riffs that he plays, um, there's something about it that uh, just sort of goes through the, the, the filters of the brain and just translates directly into the nervous system. 
And it's something which, you know, or whether it's just a percussion section on a track, there's something, you know, which you, you hear it a lot in funk. Um, it's something unique to these particular genres. And obviously there's all the new disco and the, more, the, the, the new music that's morphed out of these, these older genres. Um, but these two particular genres are very, very interesting in terms of what they do to a dance floor. And I've seen it, and I've, I've played in across various different... As a DJ, I've played different areas of, of music, not just disco. And, but there's something very unique about disco. I'm wondering about this experiment, because surely the people who come in to a night like Car Wash pretty much know every single song that's going to come on. It's like they're, they're already disco aficionados, so there isn't this kind of surprise element where you're building well there up. is actually there oh, is there okay. is a car wash um <laughs> but there'll there'll always be a section of the music policy that you know they can't they, there's certain disco anthems i mean for example the cd that we're releasing on friday it's three cds and it's pretty it's with sony music and like pretty ev pretty much every single disco anthem that's ever existed is on that album so you'll get that but when you come to the club what you'll get is an intermix of new disco, you'll get remixes, you'll get stuff where producers have just mashed things up. It's a real mashup, of, uh, and it does go across various genres. And, and at the club, we play a lot of 80s tunes as well, so it does tap into that whole nostalgia factor. Mm. And I think in terms of um, the experiment itself, there's something, you know, there's a difference between listening to a CD or um, Spotify at home, and then coming to an actual venue and experiencing the atmosphere there together with a bunch of other people who are kind of, like, not at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there for the same reason. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds incredible. Um, how can people get involved? Oh, um, so I guess the easiest way is to go to the guerrillascience.org website. So on our homepage, um, there's more information about the event and a link to the Eventbrite form. Um, so you can either do that or you can go to You can Eventbrite go to carwash.co.uk Exactly, well. multiple avenues of signing up. Um, and the name of the event on Eventbrite is Science of Disco. Great, and we'll tweet those details out as well for anyone listening and wanting to come along. I've got one last question, if that's all right. <laughs> um, Guerrilla Science, can I just ask why um, you decided to um, bring... Uh, obviously, you know, science has ha got a bit of a, I, I, a sort of bad name at school. Like, people aren't necessarily interested in science. So I guess what you do is go to places where people might not be so aware of, of science and try and get people involved and, and do experiments where people can understand a bit more how things work. But what was your... What, why did you start it? What What is guerrilla science? What's the point of it? Um, so I think it's captured in the name. So guerrilla science is uh, a possibly quite strange combination of um, science, but in places where science is unexpected. So we grew out of the music festival scene, so we started at Secret Garden Party back in 2008, um, and that kind of uh, element of celebration and kind of joyousness is kind of very integral to the experiences that we create, um, and that's why we're going to the disco. Um, and the thing is about science is that, you know, it is one of these um, amazing kind of disciplines that often people don't have proper access to. So I guess what we're trying to do with our events is to make science uh, accessible and interesting to people who are just non-scientists, really. Um, so that's our ethos, and I, I guess 
also our, there's a real spirit of collaboration in what we do. So by collaborating with Neil from Car Wash, by collaborating with the neuroscientists from Hubbub um, and a bunch of other artists and musicians, that's what makes science um, more understandable to people who don't necessarily have any science background. Jen, do you want to give the date of the experiment and time of the experiment? Oh, yeah, <laughs> of course. Thanks, that's, yeah. Why <laughs> <laughs> that's why she brought you. Um, so the experiment is happening on Saturday, 5th of December, and it starts at 7.30 and it will run until 9, but uh, experimental participants will obviously be able to stay until the club closes Til at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's <laughs> uh, where the hardcore partying takes place. <laughs> so much both of you and I hope it goes really well and we'll we'll put details of, of the experiment out so thank you thank you pleasure. thanks very much for coming in and don't forget you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at Eastcast show or check out all of our interviews listings and music online at eastcastshow.com and on iTunes and if you sign up to our monthly newsletter you'll get an audio news straight into your inbox you're listening to Eastcast Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. So every now and then we like to delve into the Eastcast archive for interviews from the past. Next up is an interview that Nia did a while back about Casserole Club, a foodie movement with a conscience. We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know where. Well, my name's John Churchill, and I live in a top flat in Whitechapel. I've lived here since 1981. I'm 68. I don't cook for myself. One day, I saw the um, very interesting casserole club being, being mentioned, and uh, I joined up and became a diner. I'm Catherine. I'm the lead organiser for Casserole Club, so I'm in charge of recruiting cooks and diners and matching them up and making sure the service runs smoothly. What appealed to you about it? It was a novel idea, it was something very unusual. And it was also nice to have people coming in, you know, I mean, in, in a sense, it was, it's always nice to you know, meet new people, but a different generation, obviously, it's nice to feel that I'm not totally a bit isolated or a bit sort of, well, I don't think like that, but you can as a, as a pensioner. And who was the person who cooked for you? Yes, Rosie. And it was interesting that, because I know this is a very different, kind of set up the Meals on Wheels, which is, which is the other way that older people have meals brought in. So this, this is very intriguing, because it means that older people can have the knowledge of the area, or they might have the history, so younger people might, you know, get a little bit more knowledge about what, you know, what it's like in the area. People who just come in here don't really know the area. But there are still a few characters. I don't know if I'm a character. <laughs> I might be. The contribution I can make, I mean, my contribution is eating the food, but I'd like, you know, it's not a one-way system. I'd like to sort of, you know, I mean, in a silly way, just people go to different homes. It's just curious to see what's going on, you know, what, what different people can, or older people can, you know, have, have an interest in. So it differs from something like Meals on Wheels because it has a social yes, aspect. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I've never, I would never even think about Meals on Wheels. This is a much more organic thing. So how did it all start? So Casserole Club was started by a guy called Mertz, who was a design student, and he became really intrigued in Meals on Wheels, oh. the problems with the service, and the fact that it's very impersonal and inhuman, and that a lot of people that were receiving meals and needed meals 
therefore felt like there was nothing personal about it and it wasn't enjoyable. And after studying on Mills and Wilkes, we started looking further at kind of the importance of food in communities and was kind of fascinated by the fact that there's this real kind of like rising food revolution in the UK. There are all these people who love cooking. And then there are still loads of people of all different kind of demographics who, for whatever reason, don't really cook but enjoy food. He was like, this is a mad mismatch. Like, in neighbourhoods, in communities, we have people who cook too much and people who aren't cooking at all. How can we connect those people? So rather than having kind of like a centralised service, how can we just put people in touch so they can share things um, and that they can kind of both benefit from that? And I think that's one of the kind of most interesting things about Casserole Club, both Mm. in Surrey, Tower Hamlets and in Barnet, is that it's not just the person who's uh, receiving the meal, the diner who gets something out of it. The Mm. cooks really enjoy it too. Normally they're motivated by wanting to meet a new person in the area Often they're people who've moved into the area relatively recently and want to like find out more about the history of it. What's incredible is when you connect people and you give them something in common. People have shared food for since you know the beginning of time. It's such an important ritual. And how many people have you got signed up in Tower Hamlets? So in Tower Hamlets we have over ninety cooks signed up across no, the borough. I didn't never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> And so now we're working with organisations to identify diners, like people who don't cook, and we're distributing leaflets and posters to advertise it to people who'd like to have a meal delivered. And how many diners? So far we have 18 diners. I would have thought the other way around, that you would have had more diners, because it sounds like a wonderful treat. I think the thing is, we started by promoting it to cooks, because we wanted to make sure we had enough people who would deliver meals. So now the kind of second phase is to promote it to people who might want a meal. John, can you tell me a little bit about how it worked with Rosie? Does she live in the same block here? She lives very close to London Hospital. So it's literally within about, I think, about ten minutes walk away. And you match them both up? How did it work, Catherine? So once Rosie had signed up, we take all of our cooks through a safeguarding process. So we ask them to do a DBS check and we ask them to watch a food safety video. And then once Rosie had been approved, we looked if we had any diners in the area who liked the kind of food she cooked and thought John would be a good match and suggested them to each other. We've just relaunched the website and we'll soon be putting the cooks and diners both on the website so they can match themselves to each other. And that will kind of take, that will remove our role a bit. People will just request to get in touch. We'll approve those requests. And if it is approved, we can talk directly. After cooks and diners have been matched, if they both enjoyed it and they have more spare time, then of course we suggest, you know, they share another meal. And some cooks and diners get into a kind of semi regular arrangement where perhaps the cook will come round once a fortnight to deliver a meal. And I suppose it can then develop, then it's just a friendship, isn't it? Mm. It kind of leaves the website and the, you know, casserole club as the middleman and then yeah. your neighbours yeah. cooking for each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the idea that casserole club is just a starting point. Would you do it again, John? Oh, absolutely, yes. Oh, we'll meet again some sunny So, Nia, since you did that interview, Casserole Club has got pretty big. They've had quite a lot of press. And um, I actually saw them pitching at an event which was called Age 2.0, which was held at Nesta. And um, they actually won the best tech 
pitch for for a startup to do with aging because to be honest they were the only people that actually treated uh aging humanely it was all about human connection rather than tech all Mm. the rest was gadgets and tech um there was one which um kind of really struck me which was almost like a a baby monitor for old people and i just thought why Mm. anyway so um no good for them it's it's a great project and and yeah they're they're really getting popular and more and more people are using the platform so it's it's really great so um before we go um, i'm just going to tell you very quickly about another audio project that i'm working on um called something to declare And it's around the idea that everyone or nearly everyone in London has some sort of arrival story. They've arrived from somewhere else. It might be them, it might be their parents, it might be their grandparents. But essentially, most of us have something to declare um, about arrival. So um, the idea is to make us think a little bit different about migration. And obviously, it's a big topic at the moment. So if you've got an arrival story to London or you've got a, a story from your parents or grandparents I'd love to hear from you you can get in touch with us via Twitter which is at Eastcast Show You're listening to Eastcast on Resonance 104.4 FM Tell us what you think of the show um, on Twitter and you can also check out all of our interviews, listings and music online at eastcastshow.com or on iTunes So it's nearly time for us to say goodbye but before we do there's just enough time to play When We Grow Up by Lyle Arad. That's all from us tonight. Join us again next time.
It's a pleasure.